all the evidence that I'm presenting in the book, the, the, this evidence clearly shows that this materialist view of mind and consciousness, it, it's not uh, valid anymore. And uh, it's erroneous. And we need to change. Uh, we need to switch in terms of, of, of paradigm. Paradigm is the uh, big uh, grand theory, if you will. So it means that everything that uh, is going on at the mental level will influence what is happening in the brain and by virtue of its connections with all the physiological systems in the body uh, what is happening mentally will exert an influence also in the immune system uh, cardiovascular system the endocrine systems with the hormones and so on and so forth so we have more power than we think I am really excited to share with you my new association with controlyourhealth.care. I've been literally searching for a solution like this for at least two decades. Did you know that over 900 plus diseases are simply due to nutrition? That problems such as heartburn, insomnia, asthma, infertility, dementia, Alzheimer's, thyroid disease, and so many more can be solved if you just correct your mineral or vitamin deficiencies? ControlYourHealth.Care has answers for you for these ailments and so many more that is based on decades of research, including over 26,000 autopsies, 10 million blood chemistries by over 15,000 holistic doctors and scientists. You will see how the right, highly absorbable nutrients that your body is craving will make a huge difference in how you feel. Go to ControlYourHealth.Care and enjoy 10% off through the end of November. Start now on a journey towards superior health that will literally change your life. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have a really interesting show. We're going to talk about the proof that God exists and spirituality exists and that there's more to us than just a functioning brain and a body and that science is proving it. I always say that science is just the study of what is and that when they use science to prove something doesn't doesn't exist by ignoring data, like you have to ignore a lot of data to say that God doesn't exist or spirit spirituality doesn't exist or that we're just a bag of, you know, cells in this meat suit, if you will, and that there isn't more to us. There isn't this energy field around us and all these things. You have to ignore all that. That's not science. Science, I believe, is just a study of what is. And as we learn more, we incorporate more into science. We learn more what science is about. And eventually it'll describe what everything's about. But we're the quest and the time to get there is going to take a long time because we're not that smart. I mean, some of us are smart, but not really in the grand scheme. But anyways, this is just an amazing, amazingly interesting show. And I have Dr. Mario Beauregard coming to the show. He's a neuroscientist, and he's been studying this for a long time. And it's just such a fascinating talk that we have. He has a new book out on this subject. And I really uh, suggest that you go and check out his work his on his website that I have listed below. Check out what his, his book is about. It's about the reality and the end of materialism and that materialism is not truth. For those of you that have been following this type of work and have always looking into, you know, consciousness and spirituality and energy work, you should find this as really fascinating. And those of you who haven't, I think it might even be more fascinating because it might open up a new window for you of, you know, what the facts are around this. And that, you know, for all those that are out there that are atheists, you might want to rethink some of these things because this really shows that we're more than just a bag of bones. It's really quite cool. So before we get into the show, I want to tell you about two specials that we have going on for Christmas. And one is Dr. Glidden. If you get a foundation pack at controlyourhealth.care, you get one month uh, membership to Dr. Glidden's service, which will help you see 
how they have over 90 ailments there and help you see how nutrition can solve so much of your problems. Most medical problems out there, not all, but most have nutritional deficiencies at its core. And this can really help somebody uh, get over those problems. It's a gift of health for Christmas. And then the next one is telomere lengthening. I have, of course, I have the 15% off, but they are for Christmas, they're giving the 15% off if you buy a bottle of the telomere lengthener gel caps. It's a three-month supply of that. You will also get a hand cream. So if you know somebody whose hands don't like their hands and they want their hands to look younger, it's... um. It's a really great gift. I also have the latest studies coming out of Korea and how it helps lengthen your telomeres and changes your biological age. It's really a fascinating study they did. So you can see that at sarahwestall.com under shop. And when you're there, make sure you sign up for my newsletter. It's the best way to stay in touch with everything I do. And lastly, Dr. Mario, he stays after and does another little special segment for my members. So if you're not a member yet, please go and sign up at sarahwestall.com. It's on the bottom of every page or Ebonier. You just said sign up for Ebonier. Ebonier is my social media membership or sarahwestall.tv is my uh, video membership. And they both have videos, but you can see that exclusive on either one. So let's get into my show with Dr. Mario Beauregard. Hi, Mario. Welcome to the program. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for uh, having me. I am so excited. You are a doctor. You're a neuroscientist, right? Who Mm -hmm. is focusing on not material science, but on what is beyond what we really are beyond the material. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you wrote a book about it. Can you talk about the book is expanding reality, the emergence of post-materialistic science. And can you talk about at at a broad level, what the book's about? Well, uh, in this book, uh, I'm presenting uh, what we call lines of uh, evidence in science. So various uh, types of research of scientific data. Uh, When you put them all together, you realize that uh, the, the, the central dogma of neuroscience, it's uh, the central dogma of neuroscience. Uh, it's been around for about uh, over a, a century now. And uh, it's the idea that the brain produce what we call mind and consciousness. And even uh, all of our experience, human experiences, including uh, spiritual experiences, experiences with, for instance, non-physical entities. So for, for neuroscience, mainstream neuroscience and this central dogma, uh, all of our experiences are simply uh, reducible or we can associate them simply to electrical and chemical processes in the brain. And all the evidence that I'm presenting in the book, the, the, this evidence clearly shows that this materialist view of mind and consciousness it's not uh, valid anymore and uh, it's erroneous and we need to change, uh, we need to switch in terms of of paradigm. Paradigm is the uh, big uh, grand theory, if you will, to understand all these phenomena. And I'm referring to phenomena like near-death experience, for instance, but during clinical death, when there's no uh, brain activity and uh, you uh, you cannot so so and you don't breathe anymore and you have uh, lots of cases of people where they've been able to experience things while they were clinically dead. Uh, so that's one line of evidence. But there are also um, what is called psi phenomena or psychology uh, phenomena. These phenomena have been investigated by uh, researchers for over a century now and. Uh, they have shown consistently, and because we have thousands of studies now, so we, we can put the results of all these studies together and uh, we do what we call in the statistics meta-analysis. So if you want to de- determine if a phenomena, a given phenomena is true or not, you, you take lots of studies, for instance, uh, you can take 50, 100, 
sometimes a thousand, two thousand studies, you put them together to verify you know, the, the strength of the effect or the phenomena that you're exploring. And that's how now we know that uh, it's possible to exchange information mentally at a distance uh, without using our senses. And th this is called uh, telepathy. Yeah, and we just do it. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, because a lot of us have experienced it and all of a sudden, my, my husband and I do it all the yeah. time, where uh -huh. all of a sudden he'll just finish my sentence or he'll <laughs> say, well, yeah, that's what I mean. And I didn't even say anything to him. You know, I mean, it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. So basically people have to ignore so much data to believe in this materialistic mm. science that they're following, right? I mean, this only way mm. that this has lasted for a hundred years is you have to really ignore a lot yes. of other things. Yes, and, and you have uh, the, the, some scientists, but also other people, sometimes philosophers or other people fr coming from different uh, areas of society, but they call them skeptics. But in reality, they're not real skeptics because skepticism is something good because you have to, uh, you want to be certain of uh, what you're talking about or you, you need to verify experimentally uh, a, a given phenomenon. Uh, but these set skeptics are pseudo skeptics and the, uh, they try, they are professional debunkers essentially, and they, they try uh, to debunk all of these phenomena because they are very attached emotionally to their view, worldview, which is materialist and atheist as well. And they, they are very well organized. They, uh, so they target, for instance, uh, Wikipedia websites. When uh, these websites refer to the work of uh, scientists working in uh, the field of, uh, for instance, parapsychology or uh, working uh, in the field of uh, near-death uh, research and so on and so forth. And uh, so it's, uh, it's like a culture war and it's been uh, going around for several decades now. And, uh, but there's, a, there's a, an openness that is uh, emerging in my field, neuroscience, compared to when I started uh, some uh, years ago. And uh, now more and more neuroscientists are uh, admitting overtly, uh, and that's, that's very new, that uh, we don't really understand uh, mind consciousness and that perhaps consciousness is something elemental or primary in the universe. It's perhaps something more fundamental than matter or as fundamental as matter. And this is discussed in the in the book. Well, one thing you said is that, you know, as I've been reading through this, is that you were saying that all religions started at the root of most religions, not all, you said it, most religions mm -hmm. are MEs, you call them. What is an ME? A mystical experience. So the, a mystical experience is, a, if you will, a, a deeper form of uh, spiritual experience and it's an experience in which uh, the experiencer realize that he is one with everything in the universe including sometimes the source of the universe that we call god or the all or the, the halal you know uh, depends on the, but it's the one and you you find that all the time so it's a uh, an experience that is also beyond our the usual uh, space time, and the, uh, the 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 sense of personality, the small self of the experiencer, usually will vanish for for a while during the experience. Yeah, it transforms uh, them, right? Uh, yes, when we follow them long term, yes, it, it brings a psycho uh, spiritual transformation. Yes. Well, one absolutely. of the people that you you quoted was an atheist and she was saying that she had this experience and after it she said i did not define myself in terms of my culture my gender my beliefs and the color mm -hmm. of my skin anymore mm -hmm. i now perceive myself as a spark of cosmic consciousness incarnated yeah. in a member of the human species yes. she she felt that she touched god essentially and exactly. yeah and and totally transformed her and this is what i always say is why do we have all these these differences and these barriers 
because what she put in this one quote, I'm like, that's exactly how we have to look at ourselves. I find your book and what you're studying one of the most important things out there, period, of what you're trying to do. And that's saying that science does not say that God doesn't exist and that the atheists who believe it so strongly have to ignore a lot of data to embrace that idea. And obviously, an atheist who believes so strongly have, has not had the experience she had. I mean, she was an atheist and she was just mm-hmm. totally transformed. But your book goes into all sorts of stuff. You go into the evidence and of, mm-hmm. you, know, you have clinical, empirical and statistical evidence. And right. you, show it with, uh, you show it by you know, the, what consciousness must be fundamental and mm-hmm. that you show experiences and you also show how if we only look at it as a materialistic paradigm, we can't, we are, we can't move science to the next level. We aren't going to get to a lot of the stuff that I talk about with frequency. You know, we talk a lot about frequency mm-hmm. and energy that's outside our body. You know, they've done, I have scientists that talk about water, how they have two vials of water mm-hmm. and they right. split it and put it in in England and one here and the water changes at the same time, but that's all quantum physics, right? It's our lack of understanding of quantum physics Mm -hmm. that, that, I mean, that's going to transform the entire world. If you're a materialistic scientist, you are ignoring quantum physics. Uh, Exactly. Because the quantum physics was the first post materialist uh, science. In reality, and it happened a century ago, but uh, it has not been uh, the implications of quantum physics. They have not been uh, integrated within uh, science, uh, biology, for instance, and medicine. Not yet. It's it's not been done yet. It's uh, it's beginning. So we we're starting to talk about quantum bi- biology or quantum medicine, but it's just uh, beginning. It will take some time. But there's a transition. We're, we're in a period of transition. Yes, we are. And I think that the quant- I have some of the show that's coming up too. Actually, I'll probably air before this one about quantum healing and, you know, and frequency. And mm-hmm. it really looks like to get past this vaccine nightmare that we're in, you know, the damage from it, mm-hmm. we're going to need to use this. That's a technology that's going to save people. I just see the sad part is, is that we're just not sure if enough people are going to embrace it because it's not part of mainstream science yet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like, where, yeah. So it becomes a, a matter of personal belief then. And uh, instead of, yeah, it shouldn't be a matter of personal belief. No. Right? Science shouldn't be a personal, but you're okay. Your book, I got to get back. Your book is so amazing. Do you mind if I just go through like chapter by chapter oh. and you can give us some I, I mean, because I just think it's your chapter one, you end with, okay, you got, you end with journeys to the source. So I actually end with conclusion, but you end with journeys to the source. Of course, mm-hmm. I jumped right to chapter eight, which is journeys to the source. <laughs> I love that because I wanted to hear what you say, but I want to start for the show. I want to start with uh, chapter one, which is thoughts that transform the body. Mm-hmm. So basically our thoughts can transform our body. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, yeah. For for a long time, uh, because of this materials view, which was dominant, uh, we thought that uh, thoughts or emotions, uh, memories were only uh, electrical and chemical activity in the brain, but that's not so. And uh, so, I've done myself. I, I was among the first neuroscientists to use uh, functional brain imagery to see a, a type of scanner to see what's going on in the brain. And uh, so one of the first experiments that I've done, uh, even before the the turn of the new millennium and it became famous, I I wanted to show that what we think as our thoughts have a a very significant power over what's going on in our brain. And to to do that, uh, we presented emotionally uh, charged uh, films uh, the, the first study was done with um, erotic film clips. And we did that with a group of uh, university students, all males. We did that because we, we anticipated that there was going to be a big uh, reaction in the uh, emotional portion of the brain. And that's exactly what we saw. But 
in the experimental condition, that was very interesting because all of these guys, uh, 12 guys, didn't have any practice in terms of meditation. They didn't know uh, what mindfulness was. Uh, and so we taught them for about 30 minutes to become mindful. And then we put, uh, we put them in, in the scanner and we asked them to watch the uh, erotic uh, film clips, but this time as a detached observer, like they do in mindfulness meditation. You just watch uh, what's going on uh, in, your, in terms of your mental activity, but with detachment as a passive observer, if you will. And when they did that, all the, uh, the enormous uh, reaction, reactivity of the brain regions in the emotional portion of the brain, it did stop almost completely. So that was the first demonstration that mind does matter uh, using a scanner, fMRI scanner, functional magnetic resonance imaging. So they weren't just animals at that point. They weren't just so, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they, they could control themselves. No, but that, that's, a, that's yes. an important for men. That was the point, yes. That's very important is for them to be able to not be affected because they can be manipulated quite easily oh, due yes. to that issue. Yeah. And um, if they can separate, they can control themselves. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the practical analysis yes. of that. But yeah. you took it as our ability to be able to, I mean, we can be separate from our animal instincts. Exactly. That was, that's what we were trying to uh, investigate. And after that, we, we use the same uh, protocol, but, but with other types of emotion like sadness and fear and and all with always the same results. And so that's, uh, so that it's called uh, emotional self-regulation, this capacity that we have to, you know, cope with certain emotions. And it's very important to know that because uh, for a long, long time in uh, psychology and neuroscience, uh, people thought that we were totally controlled or determined by what was going on in uh, the most primitive portions of our brain, uh, the mammalian brain and the, the, the so-called reptilian brain also. But it's, it is not true at all. Uh, we, we have a, a great power over what's going on in our brain. And our brain, the, the, the nervous system, is connected with all the other uh, major physiological systems in the body, like the immune system, the endocrine systems, and so on and so forth. And even uh, the activity of genes, uh, epigenetics. So it means that everything that uh, is going on at the mental level will influence what is happening in the brain. And by virtue of its connections with all the physiological systems in the body, uh, what is happening mentally will exert an influence also in the immune system, uh, cardiovascular system, the endocrine systems with the hormones and so on and so forth. So we have more power than we think. Well, and that's, that's what we're experiencing right now is mm -hmm. that uh, unless you're more aware and you can back up and, and see stuff, you can be very, very manipulated. And, and, and science has come really far where they know how to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. And I like it that it's chapter one, because it really is how you, you know, how much our mind can be controlled or not controlled or mm -hmm. whatever. Well, let's yeah. talk about chapter two, because this is, you know, you, each chapter gets a little bit more in depth, but perceptions right. beyond space and time. Yes. What do you, what do you mean by that? That's hard for people to comprehend. Mm -hmm. Well, it means that, uh, the mind can uh, function. Usually, it, we have the impression that it functions or operates within the confines of our body. But it's uh, possible to have uh, thoughts, emotions, memories, a sense of personality outside the, the confines of the body. And th that's the, uh, the technical term is uh, it, it's non-local mind or non-local consciousness. So it means that mind is, is not limited to the, the confines of the body. It can operate also outside of the limits of the body. And we see that during uh, clinical death. Uh, when uh, people have the impression of, for instance, floating above their uh, bodies and they can perceive 
let's say they are uh, in the surgery room at the hospital, uh, often they will report uh, what the, the, the surgeons and the nurses were saying, the types of uh, instruments that were used. Uh, and we have temporal markers for this. So we, because, um, you know, yeah, very often during a surgical intervention, everything is noted. So we know exactly at what time, uh, what was done exactly, what kind of surgical instruments were used and so on and so forth. And so that's how uh, we call that veridical perception. So it means that somebody uh, who is in a state of uh, clinical death with no uh, heartbeat can uh, observe a scene. Can, and so we have hundreds and hundreds of reports like that now. So and they observe it as if they're looking down on it, right? right? Or from a yes. different perspective. Yes. It's like, well, you couldn't even, if, if, if from your eyes laying down, you wouldn't even be able to see it from that perspective. Exactly. And, well, yeah, sometimes they will see uh, a series of numbers on top of the uh, a piece of equipment uh, that you cannot uh, observe, that the, the, the medical doctors and the nurses have, do not have access to these things unless they, they, they go up there to check. But uh, some of the reports uh, have indicated that uh, it, it's a panoramic form of uh, visual perception, a 360 degree. And uh, not only the, the experiencers will know what's going on in, for, if they are in a surgical room, for instance, but they can also uh, travel to uh, other rooms. They can see uh, members of their family or friends waiting for the outcome of the, uh, the surgical intervention, for instance, and they can they can detect the thoughts of the members of their family and their friends, or the thoughts of the the, the doctors, the nurses, and so on and so forth. And this can be verified after the the fact. So that's how we know that they they can provide. Uh, the experiences can provide what we call veridical information. Yeah, it's just some fascinating. And so many doctors, and you see a lot of videos on YouTube mm -hmm. or wherever where doctors say they experience it over and over. Yes. And or nurses or people who take care of people before they die. Mm -hmm. Yes. They all say the same thing. It's just they could almost I, I remember um, reading some things about nurses who hospice care who say they could tell when someone was going to die because suddenly they'd be talking to people they knew in their past mm -hmm. or they would, it, it would just change. They would change. The person would, and they knew that they were going to die soon. Yeah. Usually it starts with the, it's called death, deathbed visions. And uh, it starts within a few days before the, uh, the actual death, the transition of the, the person. And it happens a lot. It's not, oh, like, yeah. that's why I'm saying you have to ignore the data <laughs> to believe in the material because the, it's mm -hmm. just, it happens all the time. Yes. Let's talk about the mind influencing matter because mm -hmm. you see, you know, there's the famous um, cases of people being able to bend spoons and, and interesting things, but we can do more than that. Can you talk about? Yes. So um, uh, be, because the, uh, yeah, it's, it's called uh psycho psychokinesis uh, and you or you can move objects and talk like that and um, now we uh, the, the the scientists in this field they prefer to study what they call micro psychokinesis so uh, they investigate micro phenomena instead of macro phenomena like uh, you know bars and and uh, they avoid this because in the past uh, there have been uh, people who got caught cheating, uh, they had, uh, because they were illusionists, they were yeah. magicians. And uh, so so now they, they use totally a different approach. They very often, they will use what is called uh, random number generators. And these are like, uh, you know, computer keys that you put in your uh, microcomputer. And these, uh, these keys will produce series of random series of uh, zeros or one. And the, uh, the researcher will ask the, the subjects to simply produce more zeros than ones or vice versa. Essentially, that's what they are doing. And when you put all the, and there've been thousands of these studies because it's easy to, uh, to, to conduct and replicate and so now we have thousands of studies been 
which has been done like that for a few decades. And we know that it's, a, it's an effect that is not terribly uh, strong statistically, but it does exist. And uh, it, it's uh, reproducible across studies. And some people are better at it than others. So uh, some people for, we don't understand yet why uh, they're more able to do that. There's one factor that we know of. Uh, uh, and what is interesting to, uh, to mention is that the, uh, the, these uh, generators are based on quantum processes. So we, we come back to uh, quantum physics. And um, so when you don't influence the, the, this uh, the, uh, instrument, the device, you will get as many zeros as ones uh, or vice versa, if the, uh, the device is well calibrated, of course. But when you want to intervene, you can produce an alteration. Uh, sometimes it's uh, 3% or 4 5% above normal distribution. So more zeros than ones or vice versa. And in so some cases, uh, you can get more spectacular effects than that. And what we know so far is that if you're able to enter into a state of deep uh, meditation and you include the uh, random device, uh, the generator within your space, uh, a space, uh, a meditative space, I've, I've seen that myself. I tested that when I was at uh, the University of Montreal with a master in, uh, meditator, Buddhist meditator. And he was able to influence the outcome for an entire session during 20 minutes. Uh, but, you know, uh, so, and, and Dean Radin uh, at the Institute of Neurotic Science, he observed the same thing when he was trying to see if it was possible for um, people to influence uh, what's going on uh, in terms of waves or you, when you have a, an optical instrument uh, measuring whether uh, an atomic or subatomic uh, particle will behave as a, a wave or a particle. He observed exactly the same thing that people with a lot of uh, experience in meditation can focus their attention for a longer period of time. And attention seems to act as a kind of uh, laser. So you, when you're, you're not able to sustain attention, you, you produce very weak effects on the, the microphysical system. But if you're able to sustain attention for a longer period of time, you will produce more significant effects. That, so that's what we know so far. Well, also we've learned that when you can be extremely focused, time slows down. Mm -hmm. There's yes. some phenomena about that. And I, I, you know, like almost like you can get so much more done in a short period of time that would normally take you hours and hours. That's and right. it's kind of like when an athlete is in the zone for some reason, yep. the whole scenario slows down. It's called a flow state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's tied to this. You know, I, I saw, or I see the number 618 a lot. And I, when I was, this was a few years ago mm -hmm. and it's my birthday too, 618, which is interesting, but, um, every morning and every night for 12 times during the week, I saw the number 618 on the clock. And that was the first time I didn't ever, ever think about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was told, well, you're creating it, you're influencing it. You know, I, I have scientists, friends that tell me this. And I'm like, well, I, maybe now I am. Maybe now, because I, I see 18 all the time, not 618, I see 18 all the time. But before, but when I first saw it, hmm. I saw, and then I realized, okay, this is weird because it happened almost, because it only happens 14 times in a week. And I saw it like 12 times. So that was like something, somebody giving me a message or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I didn't create this because I didn't know to create this. I've never had this before. Now I might be creating it because I see 18 all the time, but not then. And that was what was so interesting to me, but that gets into kind of number eight, chapter eight, which we maybe should wait to talk about, but I had to bring it up because there's influencing, like I could be creating my 18 now, but there's no way I created it initially. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but, but the, we, we have different uh, aspects of ourselves. So, you know, yeah, some people talk of, uh, you know, the, a smaller self. We, we are identified to a smaller self or smaller version of ourselves, but we have a, uh, what people call a higher self. Yeah. And so it could be a message from, you know, this aspect of yourself. Pay attention that something's going to happen because there's, and so I started doing research on what these numbers meant, mm -hmm. of course, <laughs> you know, and then now I see it and whatever. It's like, wow, there's, the, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's so, it's so incredible, but you also talk about, I'm going to go into all these, this is just a, I love this stuff because I think this really, like I said, this is where we're going as a human species mm. and from a science, from a understanding spirituality, but it, but science and spirituality together. I mean, it's, there's, it's so incredible, but you talk about non-local influence of intention on living on the living. What is that praying? Because praying, you know, together as a group, we pray and they've been able to show that that makes a difference. Yes, exactly. So if we are able to influence a, uh a physical electronic system like a random number generator, we might be able to do a, the same thing over what we call biological systems, living organisms. And this, this is exactly what the research is uh, showing. And in, in the case of uh, prayer, yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Um, it's still controversial because some uh, studies have produced negative results, but there were pro methodological problems with the, the studies so uh, but more studies are showing an effect of intention positive intention at a distance so like prayer but we could have negative intention too i mean like we could be worried yes. fearful when we're praying if we're fearful that something's going to happen that's the intention we could be causing to happen as well yes right well, it's an unconscious the, uh, intention. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah, well, that, that's what is done in uh, various cultures. Still, sorcerers can do that. And uh, for the, the, the people who believe in the, those effects, they can be influenced and they can even die. So it's been reported in uh, medical literature, some cases like this. Uh, but it can create also... So, so when it does that, uh, for instance, you receive a bad news, or there's a mistake about your um, yeah, about you uh, about the result of an exam, medical exam, and they, they tell you, but it's it's a mistake. But they tell you because it has happened that you suffer from a, let's say a, a cancer, a liver cancer, and you have only six months to live or something like that. And these things have happened. And uh, for instance, there was a guy and. 73 in a New York hospital, he received such a, a, a misdiagnosis. He believed in it and he died uh, four or five months after that. And, but they, they uh, performed an autopsy and they looked at the, uh, the liver and stomach and so on. And there was no cancer cell. Yeah, that's incredible. There's so many stories like that where and, people, yeah, what you believe ends up happening. And that's why the the um, power of positive thought has always been so important. The miracle of believing in yourself and believing yes. in, in that thought. But, but the yeah. effect, the non-local effect, for instance, of a, a healer or, a, or a, a sorcery or a witch, it seems to be uh, to exist also. So you can accumulate the, these kind of effects based on what you're thinking or what you're, you're believing. But yes, it's the same thing then with uh, physical systems. We can influence non-locally uh, at a distance a biological organism. So can can be uh, mice, rats, um, or, or even cells, in vitro cells or uh, blood. Uh, you know, there's been, you know, I think thousands of studies that have been done in this field of research uh, also. It's incredible what we have the power of affecting. Mm -hmm. Now, delocalized consciousness. What? How do you explain what that is? I personally don't, because to me, it's not. Uh, it's not. I say that it's uh, pri primordial or elementary, uh, which means that in science, when we say we talk about, for instance, in physics of 
fundamental forces or uh, elemental forces, we we do not try to explain them because they they come as a, a given, a, a primary principle in the universe. And to me that, and to uh, a growing number of colleagues, consciousness is uh, considered as a, a primary uh, aspect of the universe. And most of my colleagues, uh, post-materialist colleagues, because now we, we use the term post-materialist, uh, because to mark historically a transition towards something, a new type of uh, science or worldview. And they, they believe, like I do, that what we call consciousness is primary and exists before matter. Which is hard to get your head wrapped around, isn't it? But like we create the matter through our consciousness. Right, right. Uh, but but it's consciousness with uh, an uppercase uh, C. This is it's it's consciousness associated with uh, something great. We do it at our level as humans, but uh, not at the, uh, to the same extent. But the principle is the same. We can we still we can create like we just uh, talked about. We can create uh, with our minds. And we can cre uh, we create all sorts of effects with our, within our bodies and outside the confines of our bodies. And uh, we can develop these uh, capacities through uh, the control of attention and also intention. And we already talked about that, the intention and what that means. Um, and, you know, you you talk a lot and I've heard this a lot about how you um, and I want to get into journeys to the source so bad you know, mm -hmm. number eight, but I, I'm going to, so I'm going to touch on it just a little bit and get back to a couple of things that you have in your book, but um, of, of having these experiences where you reach a consciousness where you, you become part of some of the whole mm -hmm. and you no longer have a sense of an individuality anymore. Right. Um, and to, to a lot of people that's, that's scary because then you lose if you don't, but it's not scary in the people that have this experience. It's, it's great. It's love. It's the greatest experience they've ever had. But when you think about it, it's almost like you lose, you lose who you are, but you don't do you, you have who you are. Plus you're part of that consciousness, right? I mean, it's kind of like both at the same time. Well, I, I can uh, respond to this as a, as both an experiencer myself, because I've had this type of experience during my life. Uh, a, a few times, and that's why I'm so interested in the, the field of uh, neuroscience, but with regard to spirituality. Uh, and I met also several experiences, people who've had mystical experiences, and you don't, you don't uh, lose everything. You merge with something much greater, but at the same time, you, you keep your uh, unicity. Your essence. Your essence. So you don't, you never lose anything. No. It, it's just a greater experience. Yes. And, and you bring something unique to the, uh, you can call that the uh, consciousness with a big C or, you know, the, the source of everything or God, or, but you bring something you, and you don't lose. You, you, it's hard to explain with words because it's very abstract, but. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. And, and that's why people change so fundamentally when they have that experience. Absolutely. Um, I wish I had, I haven't had that experience. I'm just, I wish I had, because people talk about how amazing it is. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if it's that amazing, I sure the heck want it. But let's talk about uh, chapter six, which you say is the ultimate mystery. What's the ultimate mystery? Death. Yeah. So, so according to uh, mainstream neuroscience, death uh, was the end of everything and uh but now with uh you know we we accumulate evidence uh, all the time strongly indicating that yep. this is not the case at all that death is a transition from one state of awareness to a greater state uh, of awareness it's uh like changing uh your your your, your costumes or <laughs> Your, your dress or your pants or it's uh it's it's uh there's nothing to be afraid of about this uh, 
and that's the difference between our current scientific beliefs and atheism mm -hmm. compared to what quantum physics and the the real data mm -hmm. um you can't ignore data you know it's just kind of like uh, why are we ignoring that we're doing that today in the medical oh. world <laughs> and we, you know just ignoring huge amounts of data or i'm making data up but when you don't ignore and you look at the whole plethora of data that we have in mm -hmm. front of us, it says that life does not end at death. And you talk about this in the next chapter where you talk about past lives, yes. which there are so many people that have past lives or I, and I want you to talk about this a little bit, but I also have some, I have so many science friends <laughs> and um, I, you know, that I talk to all the time and Max, Max and I, Max Champy, who is just amazing. He, we talk about um, it, past life experiences where people go into these regression states and learn about their past life and that they'll come back with information that is absolutely incredible. And, and like, if, if you do it with, um, like you have your wife or your husband and wife do it separately, it's important if you mm -hmm. do it separately, you, and then come back and compare mm -hmm. notes and so you can't if you do it together you can hear the other person yes. saying stuff but if you do it separately there's no way you could you know hear mm -hmm. that and it's amazing some of the stuff that you learn about each other like you've actually had experiences together you can hear my dog barking <laughs> in the background yeah, well, sorry no problem <laughs> <laughs> i love them uh yes uh, and so you can access these uh memories through uh deep hypnosis but sometimes people will uh experience these some of these memories during uh deep spiritual experiences also sometimes our children yes children and so that's that's the most important uh, source of information because children are, are not totally programmed yet by cultural beliefs and society and so on and so forth and so there's a very uh, interesting program at the university of virginia and it was started in the late 60s by uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson. And now it's Dr. Jim Tucker, a research psychiatrist who is in charge of this program. And they have found, you know, in their records, they have thousands of cases of uh, children who were able to remember memories of previous lives. And very often the researchers were able to uh, verify the information and and to found, for instance, the, the previous parents and where the, the children uh, was living before in, in the previous life and so on and so forth. And so it's very hard to uh, explain within the materialist framework. Uh, it doesn't work for the, the, these materialist uh, thinkers. And so they will say, well, it's pure coincidence or it, it does not exist or it's a mistake or, but they have to deny it because they, it directly challenged the, the materialist worldview. Well, you almost say if they, even with their view, yeah, they have to ignore it. It gets back to it because it's, there's no, nothing that can explain it. You know, how can these children possibly have all these detailed mm -hmm. memories of something that they, there is, it's impossible for them to have memories of somebody else's life from 40 years ago. That's in extreme detail. Yes. And so the, yeah, they, they have to deny these phenomena because, uh, and these results, these, these findings, because otherwise they will uh, feel a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance. And it's not, it's not fun emotionally to feel cognitive dissonance. So they have to ignore as a strategy. Uh, yeah, because there's no other way to do it. Well, one thing that there's a quote in here that you say that even chance meetings are a result of karma. Things in life are fated by our previous lives. I love karma because I always say that karma doesn't lose an address, right? <laughs> so like <laughs> what you're doing now, right now, some of these guys that I've just, oh, you are karma will not forget. And actually a lot of um, supposedly these, the, the cult that is doing a lot of bad things right now, they believe in karma, which is weird because why would they believe in karma and do the things that they're doing? So they have, they, they're playing mental games with themselves because later they're going to everyone, I believe that everyone will have to deal with what they've done and karma doesn't lose an address. Yeah. And you, your research shows this in some way. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yes. Yeah, so 
it, it's well, it's, it's the law of action and, and reaction of causality. So what we know is that when, for instance, somebody is uh, clinically dead and has what we call a near-death experience or uh, a transient near-death experience because the person is actually clinically dead, very often they, uh, they will review their entire lives and they will not only view what they've done, but what they thought, uh, their words, what that, what feelings it produced on other people as well. And uh, so, yes, it's uh, this would seem to be uh, this component of uh, the afterlife would seem to be a, a learning tool to to, to learn about uh, this basic law. Uh, the law of uh, action and reaction or karma as they say in the east and uh, it, it it's a law that is uh, that seems to be as fundamental as the fundamental forces of physics like gravity for instance if you you want to jump uh, you know <laughs> uh, over on top of a, a building uh, you know what will happen uh, in the following seconds and so that, it, this would be as fundamental in the spiritual world than the physical laws uh, that we know. I find myself now when I can't behave the way that I want to behave, I just will, will um, retreat. Like I don't want to go there because I don't want to have to deal with, mm -hmm. I can't be the person I want to be. And whereas younger, I didn't care. There's all sorts of bad things I probably did. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, it's so it, the, you, you change as you grow, but you still, I don't have the strength to necessarily be the person I want to be at all times right now. And I suppose that's the, the journey that we all take. Yeah, but, but that's why we, what uh, the, the psychologists call metacognition or the capacity to investigate what's, what's going on internally is so important because uh, I do the same, exactly like you. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's very important to do that in terms of our evolution of consciousness individually but also collectively uh, as a species yeah absolutely mm. as a species and now my favorite is journeys to the source i don't know if it's my favorite but it is my favorite but all everything before it built up mm -hmm. to this uh journeys to the source you just use an example of of a journey to the source where you review everything that you've done i've heard a lot of those mm. kind of kind of stories but there's there's a lot of different examples that you gave and you see you've seen that this has all been documented absolutely right? talk yes, about yes. it all of it all of it so it's not invented it's not uh, like if uh, i decided to create stories or no it's, it's i the only thing that i did I, it was to put everything together and when you do that then you you come up with a new way of uh, seeing us ourselves and the world uh, you have a new uh, you end up with a, a new worldview or paradigm and that's that's what uh, we're calling now a, a post-materialist paradigm yeah which is just so amazing that because there's so much more we can grow and oh. um yeah you know you say the root of most major religion religions come from these experiences and, you know, people are scared because they don't want one religion, because if you just have it, it, people, it gets to the point where things get skewed and everybody forces you to believe in the same thing. And that is, is, is the root of evil, I think, is when you force this. Well, that we see it now happening now. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. When you force people to do what your way or no way yeah. kind of thing. And you know, the root of so many religions is such a beautiful thing, but then the religions get skewed and, and used to manipulate others, which I don't know why people have to go there, but it's really what so many religions mm. do. But it's so, it's so amazing that it all starts from these experiences mm. and there's so much beauty. That's why people keep going back to it, yes. isn't it? And that, that's also because deep within us, all of us, um, there's perfect perfect love, perfect joy, that we have all this essence, the, the, the one, the, the all God, it resides within us, deep within us, all of us. And so that, that's why we cannot, uh, 
we cannot go away. And uh, that's why uh, atheism, atheism uh, doesn't make uh, great strides. It's always been marginal. And uh, so, yes, I, I agree with you that religions, uh, they, they have created lots of problems, but they, they all start from these beautiful uh, mystical experiences of the, the people who were at the origin of these religions. Yeah, well, and the origin and the root of the religions are not what is expressed when they use it to manipulate no, others. No. <laughs> really far away from that. And <laughs> it's just not the same thing. Well, and I love the quote. I'm going to say this again, because I think this was what would unite so many people of what this, this person came and realized that she was not defined by the terms of her culture, her gender, her beliefs of the color of yes. her skin. And realize that at that consciousness level, we are all the same and that people, that's what they miss. And they, the materialistic world is what causes all this division. Mm -hmm. And if you transcend that, it, we're just all the same. And, you know, cause I grew up, you know, I, being a woman, I've experienced a lot of discrimination, especially in sports mm -hmm. is where I just really, it was really bad. And, um, not so much anymore for, you know, I'm 50, you know, so I experienced it a lot more than the girls do now, but you realize that you're not defined by that. No, you know, it just, it's not your division. So it's so great. You know, we're, we're all dealing with this, um, these cultural clashes <laughs> and these gender clashes and these, you know, color of your skin clashes. It's all BS. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, it is. Your your book is so beautiful. This the merging of science and and Spirit. spirituality. I, mm. I always say that science science is the description of what is. Yes. It's not materialistic. Science is not materialism. Science no. is just the the quest to understand what is. Yes, it's been hijacked as uh, being antagonistic to spirituality and religions, but it is not. And all the great the founders of modern science, like uh, Isaac Newton, for instance, or Galileo Galilei, uh, Descartes, and all these people, they were deeply spiritual people. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they realized it, because their quest of understanding the science yeah. uh, caused them to understand that even more. Because I know that my quest to understand the world and the way it is and has, has made me more spiritual. Yeah. And I don't think I was all that spiritual when I, was, when I was young. You know, I was forced to do all these religious things. I grew up in a religious environment, which gave me an understanding and education of it. But it, it almost pushed me away from it in a yes. lot of ways, right? Me, yeah, and now my me quest, too. <laughs> Same story. Go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And now my quest to learn of what the world really is has really made me more spiritual. That, that unforced... The, not being forced from the outside, but from the inside of my quest to, to, of truth and knowledge has really grown my spirituality, but it came from my source, not, you know, from yes. me, not from somebody forcing something upon yes, that's me. That's totally different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it's so much stronger and means so much more. Okay. Mm. So where can people get this book? Cause this is, it's just such a great, um, it's so, it's so great. Cause it is a journey of understanding. Mm -hmm. Well, it's on uh, now. It's on uh, Amazon. Amazon.com. You can. I know that you can uh, get it through this, and it will be in bookstores uh, at various places uh, all over the uh, Anglophone countries. Excellent. Okay, so where can people learn more about you? Me? Oh, you. You can go to uh, dr. Beauregard at dot um, com. Yes. Uh, this is my website and i'll have the link below in the show notes okay. and if they're watching that on video they can see it there and now mm -hmm. do you have a link to buy the book on your website as well no i don't have yet <laughs> okay you will by the time this airs you'll probably hopefully <laughs> okay, have <okay>. that <laughs> that's important okay excellent thank you will you stay after for my members okay and do a quick little thing for them yeah sure thank you so <laughs> much <laughs> thanks to you sarah <laughs>